Hello, everybody, and welcome to Doing Time, where humans talk about their experiences in a psych ward. This week, we have guest Josie McGarva. Josie's one of my good friends from college, and she talks about living with Crohn's disease and having upwards of 15 surgeries for Crohn's. She then goes on to talk about how she's in graduate school for psychology and how she's worked on a pediatric psych unit. And this episode was really educational and informational, so please enjoy the podcast. excited to be here um i know uh, don't be nervous <laughs> I'll try just a podcast to um that not a lot of people actually listen to on record uh <laughs> there needs to be more but um we'll get it out there so i've known josie since college maybe my sophomore year right i think so yeah uh and i you know what's weird is like i knew i met you like once and we went to that one party together and then after that i knew katie was friends with you but i was like oh that was the one girl at the pajama party that we were at oh my god that was the first night yeah. i met you and all i could remember about you is that you were a really good dancer for a white girl <laughs> <laughs> is that really what you yeah. thought of me yeah well, i was like joseph's a good dancer um, i do like to dance yeah well so i i mean first question i always ask on the podcast is how much time have you done and it's like psych ward therapy uh like if somebody's had a manic episode and they're like i didn't sleep for two months whatever it is um but I know your situation's a little different, so you can go into that or whatever you consider time, you yeah. know, or like mental health wise. So I have my own experience with mental health and my journey with it was, is therapy based, but I'm also in school for psychology and worked on a psych unit for a year, a pediatric psych unit. So that makes it even crazier. <laughs> I don't know if you should say that crazy. Is that the right term Oh, I, it's weird. I say crazy. All I could get canceled for that probably, but I don't give a shit. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't like that word. <laughs> no, I'm try, I try not to. But yeah, so I have never been admitted to a psych ward, but I did work on it. So I have a lot of insight information from that. Right. Um, but then my own mental health journey, um, I have Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed when I was 13. And with that comes a lot of mental health, depression, right. anxiety. So I've had bouts of both of those things. Yeah. Uh, I knew, obviously I knew you had Crohn's, um, and that's gotta be, I mean, your experience is way different than most people's with Crohn's just because you've had so many surgeries and obviously you can like speak to that and stuff. But I, uh, I remember you came out, did you do a podcast once with somebody or you like, my friend and I did like a very informal video for it. Okay. Yeah. No official podcast. You were great. And I think. You need to lean into that. You think? Because you're like, I've never done a podcast. And I was like, yeah, but you're, that thing was so good. It seems like, and I'll be completely honest, like you were leading the conversation and it's nothing against the other person, but some people just aren't, um, not like equipped to do a podcast, but they, it's hard to hold a conversation when you don't know how to balance like listening, talking, asking questions. Yeah. And that's like the three most important parts of it. And listening is a huge part of it too. But I wanted to ask you like, what? We can get into the you working in a psych ward later, but I really want to talk about like your Crohn's and how that's affected you. So like from when you got diagnosed, when did it start to affect your mental health? I mean, I think the entire time, I mean, I was 13, eighth grade I was, is when I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So growing up as an adolescent girl with this disease that you're trying to hide because it's super embarrassing. Like right. the m- most people, what they know about Crohn's disease is it makes you need to go to the bathroom a million times a day. Mm-hmm. Which was not the case for me, but, you know, that's what people know. They're not going to be like, oh, so how does it affect you? Right. So (laughs) I think I struggled with it a lot before I really knew that I truly had mental health stuff going on. Yeah. Um, But I'd say the first official, like, depressive episode I had, which is what I've found most attributable to Mm -hmm. Crohn's, was um, soft, no, junior year of college. Yeah. 
So I was abroad, studying abroad in Spain, and at this point, I'd already had nine surgeries for Crohn's starting freshman year of college. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's like laughable because it's just ridiculous. Nine surgeries but, in one year? Uh, two and a half. Two wow. and a half years. Yeah. Some of them were like one, I think the shortest period apart was 11 days between surgeries. <laughs> and the most was like six months at this point. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. But definitely, like you said, like surgery is not the normal course of treatment for Crohn's. I right. mean, it happens to a lot of people, but the way mine progressed was just like excessive. Um, yeah. But anyways, I was studying abroad in Spain and got sick and had to come home like six weeks into it when I was yeah. supposed to be there for three months, right. um, come home for another surgery. And everyone, like, you know, at DU, everyone's abroad junior right. year. So it wasn't like I was returning back to all my friends. They were all still right. gone experiencing their abroad. Um, and I was just home on my parents' couch for two and a half months. Yeah. Like, not going, I didn't go back to school. I probably could have. And I maybe could have even gone back to Spain. But I was just so defeated that it was, like, right. not what I needed. Yeah. Well, on top of that, like, leaving all your friends, you also don't feel well. So exactly. That like probably made it ten times worse. Yeah. Um, and what is when? What does your depression look like? That time it was just like, I mean, I don't think it could be clinically diagnosed depression mm -hmm. from like a DSM standpoint, but yeah. <laughs> no motivation. Like even the things that I normally love doing aren't fun for me mm -hmm. or even intriguing. Like I love to ski. I love to cook. I love to do yoga. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do any of that. Yeah. I, like, didn't even want to watch TV. It was, I just wanted to, like, lay there and yeah. have no, no thoughts. Yeah. And like, numb almost. That, yeah. And that's how I was feeling, was really numb for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I've gone, like, in and out of that as Crohn's has, that's what I really relate my depression to, is just times when Crohn's is, like, taking over and feels like I can't do the things that I want to be doing. Right. And when you have, I mean... I don't know if this will seem obvious, but I just wanted to ask you, like, when you have a flare-up with Crohn's, is that usually when your depression flares up? Yeah, I would say so. I think... And then my only thing, the only thing that my, like, anxiety brain works is, like, if you aren't having an issue with Crohn's and it's more, like, subsided, mm -hmm. is that almost make you anxious because you know, like, it's going to happen again soon? Or how does that work for you? Yep. Nailed it. Yeah. Um... It's definitely a cycle of, like, being anxious that I'm going to get sick when I'm feeling okay. Mm -hmm. And then when I start feeling sick again, um, I, like, then get anxious about, oh, no, here comes all the mental health stuff mm -hmm. on top of already this physical health stuff right. that you have to deal with. Right. And it's, like, when you get sick, especially because I've moved so much in the past few years, I've, like, every time I get sick, it's been a whole journey of finding a new doctor and, mm -hmm. like, figuring out insurance <laughs> All the stuff that takes a lot of work that right. a depressed, sick person doesn't want to have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, what? I mean, and I know, obviously, yeah, you talked about a little bit about your depression and stuff like that, but in terms of the Crohn's and stuff like that, um, I know you have, like, been super open about it. I want to ask you two questions. One, when did you start to become more open about it and like talk about it on Instagram and things like that and like mm -hmm. like creating awareness for IBD? And then um, was there like a breaking point for you when like you decided to be open about it? Yeah, those kind of go hand in hand. So like I said, when I was first diagnosed in school, I like didn't want to talk about it at all because right. I was so embarrassed. Yeah. And my junior year of high school, in my English class, we had an assignment to write um, a personal narrative. Mm -hmm. And I decided to write mine about Crohn's disease, because mm -hmm. it was like the main thing that had happened to me thus far. Um, and my English teacher decided to let, or he offered to have people come up in front of the class and read their personal narratives if they wanted. And I was not going to. I was like, people do not need to know this about me. Yeah. Because at that point, it was like, the treatments I was on and just everything was a whole mess. And I hadn't even like coped with it myself yet. It was like three years after diagnosis and I okay. was just finally figuring out the medication that worked for me. Right. So I like, I didn't even know how I felt about it. And that writing that paper really helped start processing. Mm -hmm. um, 
But then other people had got up and uh, shared their papers and everyone was like being super vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And my teacher told me that my paper was really good, which who knows if it was, but he was like, you really should share this. It's really great. Like Mm -hmm. junior year English level great. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But I decided to share my paper. um, And afterward, like no one treated me differently, which I didn't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be like the girl that everyone pitied or thought differently of. Yeah. So I think that was the coolest part for me is that I got this huge weight off my chest, this huge secret of like why I was always absent from school or why I was only 85 pounds at 16 years old, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, And everyone just saw me the same. At least they treated me the same. Who knows what was going on behind my back? It's high school. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And from that point on, I just started being more and more open about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think in college is when I made my Instagram account once I after I had had all of these surgeries and I started struggling more with mental health Mm -hmm. is when I decided to be more public outside of just like my close-knit circle Um, Mm -hmm. and I also realized how important awareness is like I think now with social media of course people know what Crohn's is more but a lot of no one did like I said everyone was like oh it's just a bathroom disease but there's so much more to it than that and the mental health part is huge. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's when I, yeah. that was my and breakthrough. What, what has, um, like, has anything happened since then that has, like, surprised you? Like, helping your own mental health has, like, creating awareness for other people or, like, people telling you that you've helped them, that kind of stuff. Like, how has that affected you? Yeah, definitely. I think um, my Instagram account has a lot of followers from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I posted a poll on there once, and there was people from, like, Germany and Asia like all over the place following me on there which was insane to see at first yeah but the comments that I've gotten on there about just other people like feeling the same way who also Mm -hmm. have IBD or people who don't and are like so interested and engaged in knowing what my life looks like is really great yeah but also it's important to like point out that everyone's journey is so different Mm -hmm. and what I post looks completely different than the next person with Crohn's right Absolutely. So it's also helped me. Like I follow the only accounts I follow on that account are other IBD ones. Mm -hmm. So it's super cool to like see other people's journeys and get advice from them too when things are going crazy that I'm Mm -hmm. like not used to. Yeah. Uh, Wow. I so also like I know that you've. When did you first get um, the bag? When you. Yeah. So. I had an ostomy bag for two Do you want to explain years? that to people who like don't know what that is? Yeah, so basically, <laughs> I normally use my hands to talk. This is what's different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so an ostomy, it can be on, um, they take your intestines. It can be your large or your small intestine. Mine was in my small intestine. And they cut an opening in your stomach and like pull your intestines out to the exterior of your body. And then that's called a stoma, the like part of your intestines. Mm-hmm. And then you wear an ostomy bag over the stoma and it collects your poop. So for two and a half years, I never had a real shit and (laughs) (laughs) just pooped into a bag all the time. And it's like, I don't control it. Like it's just filling up like as things would run through your intestines. And then you empty the bag when it gets full and go on with your day. What was that experience like? Emptying the bag? (laughs) Just like the whole thing of like not, because I mean, because I don't have Crohn's. My brother has uh, I think he has UC or Crohn's, either okay. one. Uh, I don't know which one he has. But he, uh, like, like for me, because I had IBS for such a long time, like, I, my day revolved around, like, when I was going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. How does did, did that shift where you're, like, you're not going to the bathroom anymore? It was really weird. Because, so, yeah. <laughs> like, I never struggled with having to use the bathroom a lot as okay. part of my Crohn's when I got the bag. The reason I got that was to give the my large intestine a break from all the surgeries that I've been having. Um, so I had to use the bathroom a lot more. Like the bag made me tied down to it more, which is an opposite experience of a lot of people. Like a lot of people will be shitting like 20 times a day with Crohn's and then they get the ostomy and it goes down to like, you have to empty it five times a day. Okay. Which for them, that doesn't seem like a lot. But for me, I was like, shit, like I always have to be by a bathroom. Right. Well, not even by a bathroom. The one nice thing about it was like pooping in nature. So easy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like peeing. You just squat, empty it, you're good to go. Right. Wow. Which okay. was really nice. So that mess. Okay. So that <clears throat> your schedule and stuff like that. And what was that like 
Because I, I can only imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll ask you, like, what was the number one emotion that was... Because I feel like, was there, like, shame involved or, like, any type of... It was weirdly liberating um, because I was so, like, before my Crohn's was so unpredictable and oh, I had no okay. control over it, like, when I needed surgery or... Right when I would get sick and once I had the, like I was the one who decided now's the time to get the ostomy. It had been a conversation for a year probably and I was, I had had enough of surgery after surgery and this was my best bet to stop having that. Mm -hmm. So I made the call, now's the time to get it, which was like wow. a super cool thing. Right. And it was my first chance where I really got to decide what my path with Crohn's was. And even, like, my parents were the ones always making decisions before that because I was a kid. Yeah. So, and I, like, I fully made this decision, so that was super cool. And I was, like, weirdly more confident in myself, with, yeah. even with the shit bag attached to my body. Yeah. Like, physically more confident, which was a yeah. really cool feeling. That's amazing. But they originally told me I was only going to have the bag for a year, so after a year and a half, two years, I was, like, pretty sick of it at that point. Yeah, for sure. And how... Um, when did you get it uh, reversed? Just this past April, so okay. recently. And what was that like for you, like mental health wise? Did that like change anything for you going back to like? It, yeah. <laughs> it was it honestly weird feeling the first time I had to poop again. So weird, I like forgot what that was like, and it takes so much energy. Like this takes up so much time out of my day. Yeah. <laughs> Before it was, I would go pee and empty the bag and be out of there, and now, yeah. It's, it takes so much energy, man. Yeah. No, like it's, wiping? it's like wiping. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Cause well, cause the thing is, is like, I don't think people realize too. It's like when you're obviously you're not actually like shitting when you have the bag and stuff like that, but like you have to still go to the bathroom and clean it. Right. Yeah. So you okay, still, yeah. you still empty it into the toilet and then you like wipe the end of it, mm -hmm. wash it off, whatever. People yeah. have their different methods. Um, mm -hmm. but no, it's not the same as an actual poop. Right. Now, like, now you feel that relief out after you poop, oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, you feel emptied before I never really felt that. So that's a cool thing. When you first started, did it feel like you, did it feel like constipated at Dude, all? Like, you, like, kind of. So after, like, I had the surgery to get my bag removed. And when they, whenever they do surgery on your intestines, they, like, kind of freeze up for a few days. So you, like, don't go to the bathroom. So, and they don't discharge you from the hospital until you poop. So I was just laying in the bed, like, waiting for poop to come. Plus, I'm on narcotics, which back you up. So it was, like, so a whole much. thing. Mm -hmm. And it was probably my third day in the hospital after the reversal. And I was just laying in my bed, and my mom was there. And I was like, Mom, Mom, something's happening. Mom? And she's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Like, freaks out, anxious mom mode. And I'm like, help me out of bed. Like, I just had surgery on my stomach. I couldn't mm -hmm. get up. So she's, like, pulling me up. I was, like, sprinting across with my IV pole to get to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the tiniest little shit of my life, but it was such a weird feeling. Right. And then when you're and also it, on, because I've been on narcotics for surgeries too, like I had ankle surgery and breast reduction surgery and that I was constipated for like 10 days. I remember one time. Yeah. yeah. And then when you do shit, it's like turds. Yes. And it's you're horrible. like, fuck, I need so much more to come out. Yeah. What's happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was um, strange. You know, I did I, um, the, because I, I, this is random, but I did, wouldn't, do you want to talk about your tattoo? Because I showed your tattoo to my doctor, actually. Really? Uh -huh. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, I can <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I have a tattoo on my side, like on my ribs, of um, a digestive tract. Well, it's a stomach and then large intestine and small intestine mm -hmm. with flowers coming out of the top of the stomach. Um, and I got that two weeks after I got my ostomy put on. Mm, okay. And I had had it planned for a bit. Like, I always knew that I wanted a Crohn's-related tattoo. I mm -hmm. just didn't know how I wanted to do it. Right. And... Yeah, I got that. I don't, like, I feel like it could, sig like, symbolize a lot of things, like the flowers meaning growth coming out of all of this right. part of my body that's Absolutely. so fucked up. Mm -hmm. But also, I just think it's, like, pretty cool. Like, I have a few tattoos, but that's definitely the most artsy, like, planned out one. For sure. And, and symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you showed your doctor. Thank you. <laughs> no, yeah. My doctor was like, whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> it was uh, funny. When I went to get it, the tattoo artist, like, had this sketch all drawn up, like, of a completely anatomical correct digestive tract with like lymph nodes and like the liver was on there and it was like this whole thing and I was with our friend Heaves, you know Heaves, mm -hmm. and Maddie was with us too and I was like 
um, I don't know. Like, I felt rude telling the guy that I, like, didn't like what he drew up. And Heebs was like, no, that's not what she wants. She's, <laughs> she's not getting that. And I was like, thank God she said something because I would have walked away with freaking okay. lymph nodes on my side. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> and glands nice. and stuff. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. Because I want to, like, get into more of, like, mental health stuff, too, and, like, what you're – I know, obviously, like, I mean, you've probably learned about this in psychology, where you're, if you're depressed, it's not just biology or just environment. Because there are so many people who go through a lot of things, but they just don't have depression because right. they don't have the chemical, like, Im- imbalance of serotonin in their brain. Do you think that you would still have anxiety or depression without your Crohn's? Or is it very directly related? That's a good question. I feel like... At this point in my life, it's always been tied to Crohn's-related events, mostly. But I also have a lot of mental health that runs in my family. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it would probably come down the road. And, like, it's definitely more than just I'm sad right now. Like, there is that chemical thing going on. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've had... My anxiety really stemmed around when I had my bag, when I first got it on. Yeah. Because it was a huge adjustment. And I would have, like leaks where the bag wouldn't be like sticking to my stomach all the way i would be in like biology class and freaking shit gets all over my body oh <laughs> that happened twice God. maybe but still so no, i was always anxious that, that was going on yeah and freaking sorority recruitment i did that like three weeks after my surgery wow. and i was vp of recruitment uh-huh. so i had to go out and talk to everyone this is like a part of my life that i don't like to endorse anymore but still part <laughs> of <laughs> it's part of the story yeah. That's She's definitely where... a shit bag, but not Delta Gamma, so, yeah. <laughs> Alpha Fee. Alpha yeah. Fee, sorry, sorry, I forgot, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, I do remember that. So that was, that's where the anxiety comes from. But, I mean, broadly, like, mental health, what I'm studying in school is health psychology. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at how mental health and physical health are, like, directly related and impact yeah. one another. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know how science or psychology-based you want me to get, but right now in my lab, we're looking at, well, my mentor mm-hmm. is um, really interested in post-traumatic stress and the development of that from IBD. Oh, wow. And it's like, the rates are insane. There's like 20 to 30% of patients, probably even more, this was like, we didn't hit everyone, obviously, yeah. that have meet criteria to be diagnosed with PTSD based on experiences from IBD wow so I mean everyone goes through trauma outside of their disease but solely disease related things like hospital stays or experiences with surgery or treatment adherence all of that stuff can induce PTSD and what's the PTSD like just like normal clinical PTSD would look like like flashbacks hypervigilance over things Mm -hmm. um and I, like, I never knew that this was something that was being studied until yeah. I got into this lab. And I never, like, thought of it as something that could even exist. And I, now I'm like, fuck, I think I have that. Mm-hmm. From a lot of things. Like, one of my first treatments. Have you ever gotten diagnosed with any, like, mental health disorders? Like, mm-hmm. PTSD or? No. But you think you could be? Probably. I mean, I don't think I have the, I, I don't think I would be meet criteria for full PTSD. But, mm-hmm. like developing it definitely especially if my Crohn's journey continues how it has been (laughs) yeah it could happen and what in what way like what is it specifically that's like triggering definitely surgery yeah like I remember one time I don't know what number surgery it was I'm at 20 now so I couldn't tell you which one it was (laughs) Jesus yeah but I woke up after surgery and I was in so much pain like which you know you're not comfortable when you wake up after surgery, but mm-hmm. this was like, I had done this before and I, there mm-hmm. was, I should not have been in this much pain. And I had a different surgeon this time because my original one was out of town. So, and he was just like rude, no bedside manner, like didn't care to hear about all my history, even though I like, I know better than the freaking doctors, I right. think at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I could go in, put in my own IV and like tell you what meds I need. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> but I woke up in excruciating pain and the nurse was like, didn't really know what to do and the surgeon wasn't there to come talk to me and my parents like weren't back there yet and it was just a whole mess of things so I think after having that experience now every time when I'm going into surgery I'm like scared about how I'm gonna wake up 
Oh, like, yeah. is this going to happen again? Mm-hmm. I've had times where I've woken up and been in complete tears, like crying over who knows what, but, and it's just like, I don't want that to happen. It's very scary. You know, so the thought of every time I'm in the hospital, I just think of, oh, shit. Yeah. This could go bad. Right. Absolutely. Which sucks when you're going into a hospital stay or trying to heal or surgery, whatever it may be, with a bad outlook already, like, the outcome is not going to be as good. Right. I right. think it's that mind body. I don't think connection. it's a bad outlook. I think you're reacting to past experiences. Have you yeah. processed that? Do you have, do you go to therapy? I do. Okay. I'm not actively in it right now because again, I have been moving so much that it's like no, hard that, to find someone. Me with like insurance and stuff. I think I start like next month because of insurance and a new job. So yeah. What when did you start therapy? Um, when I came back from Spain mm-hmm. and was like first feeling really depressed okay. is when I first looked into it mm-hmm. and I went through my insurance and had some shitty therapist who had yeah. no idea what Crohn's even was. And I'm like, <laughs> this is what I need to talk about. Like, no, I, for whatever, I don't know the question she was asking me. No, yeah. I don't have an eating disorder. I'm just tiny because my body can't digest nutrients. Right. Yeah. Right. Things like that. Oh, wow. So it took some time to find the right fit. Um, Yeah. But I, like I always say when people are thinking about therapy, I'm like, give it time. Like, finding a therapist is like dating. You have to, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you got to find the right match. Right, exactly. And not everyone's going to be that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, like, most regularly I went to therapy was in, after I had graduated college. Mm-hmm. I was just, that's when I started working at the psych ward, too. And I got yeah. so anxious, like, from that job. Right. Was, which we can get into. Yeah. But I really just needed some, like, maintenance, you know? Yeah. Take care of my you brain. Can't, you can't work in an environment like that and not and need therapy. Exactly. That's – then you need to go to psych ward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I would have – I literally thought I'd have to check myself in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but – and also, that was, like, the first time I was doing really well Crohn's-wise. Like, the first time that my health was <laughs> stable. But yeah. that made me anxious, like we right. were saying before. I would, like – gets it was it felt so weird to adjust to being healthy like that was almost harder than accepting that I was sick well because when you're sick it's comfortable and you know what it's like you know exactly but then when you're healthy you're like I don't know what this is like so everything is uncertain which breeds anxiety because anxiety is all future based right um did when did you start working in the pediatric psych unit right after graduation it was my first real job so what I mean, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, but, like, what was the biggest thing for you that kind of put you into therapy from that? The anxiety from – so it's, like, the unit I worked on was meant to be, like, crisis stabilization, like, come in for a week and then you're discharged. Yeah. But we had a few patients who were stuck there because their cases were so extreme, they couldn't find other placements, family couldn't support them, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And, of course, those patients are the ones that are the most difficult to work with. Right. And – you would work with them. I worked night shift, so three nights a week in a row, 12-hour shifts overnight. Wow. Um, but I would work with these same patients night after night, week after week, and it was like I would have dreams about them. I'd be at home trying to sleep, having these, <sighs> not even dreams, nightmares right. about what the patients could do. And also just like the, it's heavy shit. That yeah. These, and they're kids. Mm-hmm. Like a four-year-old kid comes in who says they're going to kill themselves. That's, yeah. you got to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's so rough. Um, yeah. I was in a pediatric psych unit when I was 17, uh, not working in one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I, uh, I, I was like, it's for suicide ideations. Um, but I remember there was like a kid who came in and was like, eight. like I had to do therapy with like eight year olds, but I was 17 because yeah. we were all, because I was under 18. So I had to be placed there. And that messed me up and I actually helped me get better just because like at the state that I was in I was like oh I, this kid has a whole like fucked up life ahead of them and I'm like fine so to speak um and there was a kid who was eight years old and came in and said he tried to set his house on fire and I was like I gotta go <laughs> you're like I gotta get out of here yeah this is way too much for me um and um it's do you want to talk about some of the things that you've seen yeah, I can. I like I'm trying to not violate HIPAA. I was thinking about this before I came. Like, how? Yeah. But let's see. There were, I mean, we saw everything from suicidal ideation, bipolar, schizophrenia. There was like an, kids. Yeah, you can. They weren't fully diagnosed with it yet because you can't diagnose until it's you're like twenty like something. Because of insurance, they like won't diagnose you with schizophrenia as a kid because they know that no insurance will cover you if you have that. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Damn. But so maybe it wasn't full 
schizophrenia, but like hallucinations and mania, and aggression. Uh, those, I think the youngest like schizophrenic type person I saw was probably 14 or 15. Oh, wow. Most of it's drug induced so, at that age. Okay. But it's like, it'll last in a lot of them. Some of them, a week, they take the medications that they give you and then they're like clearing up. Mm-hmm. But others, it's there to stay. Um, what, so, okay, so schizophrenia at like 14. And what kind yeah. of drugs? Like hallucinogens? Yeah, it could be. I mean, half the time they won't tell you, so you don't really know. But I think, what's it called? It's like synthetic weed, but it's not even weed. Yeah. What's the name of that? There's like some street name. I don't know. I'm not cool enough to know I that. I don't know. <laughs> but that's what most of, that's what a lot of the kids would take. Like there was this one patient we had who was Spanish speaking. She spoke English too, but was like, Spanish was her first language, but she spoke in a British accent the entire time she was on the unit (laughs) and loved to watch Peppa Pig. She was 15, the 15 year old I'm talking about. Okay. It like the shit that girl did was insane. She was like said that she could see people's lives in their eyes, like thinking that people were possessed. She like didn't (laughs) trust half of the staff, but she liked me. So of course I worked with her every night. Right. She would like, <laughs> she had this teddy bear that she <laughs> like took on. She would call it her son, first of all. But then like her next <laughs> mood that she would get into, she would like freaking masturbate on top of the teddy bear. Oh, like we would God. walk into her room and she'd be doing that. And we'd be like, you can't like put that away. And she's like, can I have some privacy in her British accent? And I'm like, don't you speak oh. Spanish? It was just. Oh. <laughs> well, what's that diagnosis then? That was like a drug-induced one, but she was just in like full synthetic weed. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but she was like in full uh, in a whole nother world, wait. like nowhere near our planet. <laughs> synthetic weed, spice, spice. That's it. Okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Have you ever done spice, Drew? No, I haven't. I've actually done. Other drugs, but not, not that one. <laughs> not that, uh, one. that is insane. I don't like the feeling of, like, I don't, I've done dabs and stuff. I don't really, it's fun for, like, ten minutes, and then you're like, oh, this is going to last another, like, two hours. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. I don't really like it. When you're on drugs and you don't want to be on drugs, that's the moment that sucks. Yeah. What, uh, was there any experiences that you had that, like, you really remember as far as, like, helping somebody? Yeah, definitely. And... Like, sadly, the people that I feel like we helped most had the most stable life outside of the hospital. Right. Like, majority of the patients we saw, it's the parents that need the counseling, not the kid. Mm-hmm. But the people that, they were, they were like the teenage girls is who I felt like I could really bond with. The, like, yeah. suicidal teenage girls yeah. who will actually listen to you and, like, want the help. Right. Um, but there was this one girl who was, like... I don't know if she had a suicide attempt or just ideation. Mm -hmm. Not just ideation, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And she was so insecure, like every adolescent girl is. Um, And she was hanging out with this other girl who was like kind of bad news on the unit. It's like funny to observe the clicks that happen. Yeah. And you see like the innocent ones come in who then get sucked into the ones who are like old pros kind of like jail. I mean, no, I was in one for a week when I was 17. And there's definitely like groups yeah i've been in the psych ward three times and there's groups every single time i went there i'd be curious Um, to hear about your experience too because like that's always something i wanted to ask the patients but you can't sit down and be like so what's your review of our psych ward you know i mean like as far as i can remember like i really liked i did like my roommate um but as a because i have such my anxiety is not um anxiety it's like uh, inflamed version of that where it's mostly OCD so it's like okay. obsessive compulsiveness so I'm like hyper aware of my anxiety mm-hmm. I'm very self-aware and so for me uh, even though I like had suicidal ideations I'm so self-aware that I knew when people would start to try to like recruit me into their weird shit I was uh. like oh no you're you're crazy like yeah. I know I'm in the psych but you're fucking crazy you yeah. know like there was this girl and she tried to like I don't know, like, just do weird shit to staff or, like, try to, like, just be trouble. And I was like, I'm not really into that. Mm -hmm. And I know that I was, like, the girl who looked like that, but I was like, I'm not going to do that Um, because I knew – I'm very – 
I think, and I don't know if you've seen patients like this, but like the things that I did once I was more stable were very tactical where like, uh, they saw how like unstable I was with my emotions where I'd just be constantly crying or like, just like upset. And, uh, I remember they knew that I had a huge issue with my dad and I didn't talk and I still, I mean, we have our ups and downs and everything, but yeah. I don't really, I, I never like consistently talked to him for a long time. And so since I was like 13, um, and there was this one nurse who I, to this day, like love, like, or wish him the best. He was f- fucking amazing. But I remember one time, uh, like it was like my fifth day and I was like, I get the fuck out of here. Like, nobody <laughs> stays longer than five days. You know what I mean? I was like, I gotta like, yeah. really, really like get my shit together. And, um, I was like, I don't want to talk to my dad. And they're like, he's like, you need to talk to your dad. And I was like, maybe they want me to talk to my dad so that they'll discharge me. Because Um. then it just shows that I'm more stable. So I get on the phone and I like play nice with him. Mm -hmm. And not, I mean, obviously like I'm not a fake per. I can't fake anything that's really hard for me. Like even Katie, who's like both of our best friends, uh, (laughs) said to me the other day that this girl was intimidated by me because, uh, Whenever she talks to me, it seems like I don't react. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. And Katie's like, that's just true. That's totally you. Well, it's just like, I don't, I've been through so much that's like on New Year's, my brother called me and was like threatening suicide. And I was like, okay, I'll go deal with that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't, hi, how are you? That's not me. So it's like, I knew in that situation, especially like being unstable, um, I had to like put on a face almost and talk to my dad so I called him and then I was like everything's great blah 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 blah. and then they like discharged me the next day so you learned how to work the system yeah because I knew because but I also I do I knew how to work the system but I also like felt that if that's what they wanted then like clearly they're not great do you know what I'm saying like hospitals are never 100% with it um because they have insurance and that's like if there was insurance didn't exist I feel like like the hospital system would be way um, more of an empathetic place. But I since agree. it's not, it's just a lot of medication and then see you later. So yep. I, for me, like my experience with that being 17, it was hard. It was also like a lot of homework. Like I would do a lot of homework there. Um, and then when therapists would check in with me, I would kind of like know, I wouldn't like know what to say, but I'd be honest. But I'd be like, no, no, no. If you're, I know if I say this, you're going to do this. And then if I don't say this, you're going to do that. Because my brother had been in the system for so long. Okay, like so my brother exposure. Yeah, my brother um, to this day will say that he is depressed so that he can go to psych units and get Xanax and like use and then go do heroin. So it's like mm. I knew a lot more than they thought I knew because of that situation. Um, but I also think that it's sad because I think you're a person who like genuinely wants to help people. And I don't think that people who work in psych wards are all like that. It's definitely like half and half, I would say. I yeah. think the therapists that work in psych wards are, it's the insurance thing. Yeah. They have to pump kids through and through. Like there's only so many beds on a unit and right. so many kids in need. So if someone says their suicidal ideation is a three instead of a seven, okay, see ya, yeah. have fun back at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's like three, you shouldn't have suicidal ideation. Like mm-hmm. if you're letting someone go and they're saying a three, I want them to be a zero. Right, But like, exactly. of course, kids will just say what they want to say to get out of there because it's yeah, well, of course. not a fun place to be. Yeah. I had my mom come in when I was over, I was 19, I was in Denver. And it's like, worst psych ward I've ever been in, dude. Where was some, it, do you remember? People, <laughs> it's like around the corner from DU. Okay. It was at, um, it's like the only hospital people go to, I feel like. Is it like the CU hospital? I don't know if they have a psych ward, actually. It's like right by campus. Porter? Yeah. Okay. It was horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Wait, now that you say that, yeah, it was horrible. There was like, I saw somebody get sedated um, multiple times. He kept like yelling at the woman that like no one should vote for Hillary Clinton. And then he like, because this was like during the election. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, something like that or like he knows her or something like crazy like that and then he got sedated multiple times and then there was a girl behind me one time and I was like really trying to play it down to my athletic coach called me and or the trainer at the school um Uh and she was like how's it going and I was like oh it's fine and then there was a girl in the background screaming that she was like already called a gun store and gonna buy a gun and kill herself she's like it sounds great and I was like yeah it's it's awful oh my gosh yeah like screaming and and so for me like that experience was probably the worst hospital experience I've ever had and I was suicidal, but I was like, 
I literally, I was like, this hospital is making me more suicidal. I need to get out of here. I will be yeah. okay. I won't kill myself. I'll go to therapy. Like, sign me up. I'll be fine. Right. But the hospital was so horrible and watching them do horrible things to other people was like it was fucking me up even more and i was like i need to leave yeah and then i had my mom sign like an override notice because i had to stay for 72 hours but i was like i cannot stay here for three days like i was there for only two i think my mom came and so you did like the discharge she flew in against medical advice or whatever it is yeah 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 i think she flew in because she was supposed to come in anyways for like a meet that she wanted to come see which was like very coincidental um but yeah, that was so horrible. And that was an adult unit? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I could not imagine working on an adult psych unit. Horrible. <laughs> I mean, I also I be, feel like being 24, I like don't think I could work with adults in any capacity right now in yeah. like a therapeutic way mm-hmm. because I'm like I'm younger than you. I have nothing right. to tell you. The experience level is very different. But like picturing every kid that I treated as an adult with the same things going on oh my god I think I would be dead I think someone would kill me yeah like (laughs) on the unit (laughs) dude yeah my my third experience in the psych ward was like a lot better because I think I hit bottom when I attempted suicide and then when I woke up I was like oh I'm gonna do anything I can to get out of here like that was when I rock bottom and then I I remember um it's just like a very and I don't know if like you see this because you you are like the caregiver for this but I felt just very stripped away of my sanity where it's like okay I'm already trying to take myself off this planet and then Mm -hmm. I go to this place where I'm like pumped with meds and then I'm like weighed every day and then I have to like I can't use conditioner because like I'll drink it because there's alcohol in it and then like I can't like I couldn't do anything but sleep yeah and I felt disgusting I couldn't wear a bra did you have to wear the scrubs like I didn't have to wear scrubs which you got to wear your own clothes yeah that's nice very nice but like I had to wear like a I mean I have a ton of hair so I'm like when when I have like and it sounds so petty but it's like when I you take advantage or for granted things that you you know have and then once you go to the hospital you're what the fuck because I have like a very specific hair routine and I had to wear my hair um with a rubber band because they like wouldn't give me wouldn't any, give you a ponytail, like a ponytail hair at holder and it was just so I never felt clean mm-hmm. you can't shave you know what I'm saying so it's like it just it was so um like I felt like stripped away from humanity in a sense I felt like that's what we were doing to people in some ways which for some patients like they needed that level of safety and for sure everything removed in order to just focus on what their problem was Mm -hmm. but there were like a patient comes in gets checked in and again I'm working night shift so I was admitting patients at like one in the morning who had been in the ER for hours on end or whatever and they're kids they're scared they're like the ones who had never had anything like this happen before Mm -hmm. and we took them into a little exam room they have to put on a hospital gown, like take off all their clothes, give us everything that they own, and we take it all and like put it away behind yeah. the nurse's station. They, we weigh them, take their height, blood pressure, vitals, all of that, ask them their suicidal ideation. Right. Can you see or hear anything that other people can't see and hear? Like mm-hmm. totally and with no like therapy tied to it. It's not like, like we would say, what's your suicide level? And someone says an eight, you move on to the next question. Right. Because it's right. just paperwork getting them in you know and that felt very dehumanizing and then you have to do a skin check to see if they have cuts on them or Mm -hmm. bruises whatever it may be and then to ensure that they're not harming self-harming while they're there like Mm -hmm. knowing what they looked like when they showed up yeah so they're in a hospital gown you're examining them I'm sure this is what the same thing that happened to you and then you give them their scrubs take them to their room say here's your folder of paperwork that you have to get done here's your two markers that you get to use because you can't use a pen yeah <laughs> that was the sh- most shocking thing to me when I first started the job is I didn't bring a pen with me for like my paperwork that I had to do and I asked for a pen and they're like oh we don't have pens here yeah and I'm like what you don't have a pen like it's a hospital mm-hmm. and then they were like well kids will take them and right. use them uh, yeah just like the innovation that, that these kids have the questionnaire yeah oh yeah we weren't allowed to have uh, alarm clocks because somebody tried to swallow batteries one time at our hospital yeah I mean it's, <laughs> and it's like it's, it's that it's like doesn't surprise me no and it's like but when you're at that level of I don't want to be here you will do anything which mm-hmm. is why there's so many things that you you're not allowed to have and, and like 
for me, honestly, it wasn't even just the hospital part that was dehumanizing. It was the intake, like you were talking about, the questionnaire. Because mm-hmm. when they put me in Porter, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. But I started to, like, hyperventilate and have a panic attack. They thought I was, like, crazy. Ugh. Like, they legit thought that I was, like, either schizophrenic or, like, bipolar and, like, having a manic episode. And I was like, I just don't want to be here because I've been here before and I know what it's like and I'm going to kill myself so I don't have to be in the hospital. Yeah. Like, I'm like, life's fine compared to what this is because I know what this is because I had already been in a psych ward once when I was 17 and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. So I started, like, hyperventilating and having a panic attack. And then they're just like, if you don't calm down, like, we're going to, like, sedate you kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need to be sedated. Like, like, I'm fine. I don't want, I'm like, I know what you're fucking up to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm smart. Right. I don't, I know how the system works. And they just like were relentless with me and asked me those questions. And then I was just like, if I don't calm down, like I actually will be sedated and then I'll actually stay here for longer. So I had to like talk myself out of that, but it was so hard mm-hmm. to, because I was like yelling. I was like, I don't want to fucking be here. And I like called my mom and then they like took my phone away. I mean, it was a nightmare. I honestly, like, haven't talked about that experience. It was really, really, it's really embarrassing because I felt like I was becoming more crazy than I actually was. I think that that's what that place can do. Like, psych wards can really put people in that state Mm -hmm. of becoming more crazy. I'm sorry that that was your experience. It's like, no, that's not fun. Denver's Denver. Good old Dirty D. Yeah, Dirty D (laughs) did me dirty. That shit sucked, dude. Oh, my God. I remember when they took my phone away, I was like, I will never be okay again. Like, it was just so scary. Yeah, you don't get anything. And then, at least at the unit I worked on, it was like you had to earn back your clothes. So you're in the scrubs (laughs) until you do whatever paperwork, whatever worksheets you have to do or meet whatever the therapist standards are. Like... I didn't get to see as much of the day-to-day because I worked at night. Right. I worked some day shifts, but not regularly. So I'm like, I don't know what the conversation between a patient and the psychiatrists really looked like. Right. Which was kind of cool that at the shifts I was at, it was just us. I was a behavioral health specialist. So that was mm-hmm. my title. So it was just me, other BHSs, and then nursing staff. Okay. And like an on-call doc if we needed it. But it was kind of cool because we got more, I think, bonding experience with mm-hmm. the kids. And, I mean, you have to go to bed at, like, freaking 8.30 on this thing. But yeah. they're teenagers. No one's going to sleep at 8.30. Right. So it was, like, you got the chance to go and sit in the rooms with the kids and, like, actually have conversations. Oh, and that's, that's so where nice. it started feeling like I was actually helping to some extent. But, I mean, I'm one person with – I had an undergrad in psych. Like, I knew nothing. Well, but you have life experience. I feel like you can see yourself in most people if you're an empath. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you're hel- if you're trying to help somebody – especially with what you do with Crohn's, you're able to be like, no, I genuinely want to help people. And like, I don't really need psychiatric like training to know what this is. I agree to some extent. And that's why I feel like I was best with like the teenage depressed girls. Right, right, Because I'm like, yeah, I know what you're feeling. Exactly. You feel like everyone's watching you all the time. Guess what? So does everyone else. And And they're not. no one cares. They're not paying attention to you. (laughs) I don't know if that helps or hurts, but like. No, no. No one's watching. They need to hear that though. Yeah. And I needed to hear that. And, and that's I what I told that. the one girl that I was telling you who I feel like I actually helped is she was super self-conscious. And I said, this is like the most cheesy advice to give, but I feel like it helps. I still yeah. do it. But like every time you say something bad about yourself or think something bad about yourself, tell yourself three positive things mm-hmm. in that same moment. And mm-hmm. I like told her that she was like, can you write that down? So I don't forget. So I like oh. wrote it down on a piece of printer paper and taped it up on our wall. And, and pencil. Yeah. Her marker. Not, marker. Can't even have marker. Pencil. Like pink Crayola marker or whatever it was. But then like that girl wrote me a note and like left it for me when she was discharged because I didn't get to see her before she Mm -hmm. went and like a thank you note for helping. So that's like those were the moments where I was like, this is actually cool. And that's so special too. Yeah. But then there's the teenage boys or even the (laughs) whatever. Like a nightmare. (laughs) Whatever gender they are. But the people who have these like life experiences where their parents don't give a shit about them or they're selling drugs to be able to buy their school yeah. lunch you but know? the third time i was in the hospital was with uh i became friends with a guy who uh was in the psych ward because he simply had nowhere to stay like he was that homeless. happens yeah yeah and he was fine he was like happy i was like what the fuck are you doing here? Like, <laughs> oh i don't need to be here like i just i'm homeless better and, than like, the streets yeah and his girlfriend would like come visit him and stuff but like like they found out i think after he got admitted that like he did have some psychiatric shit going uh. on and like not like anything 
that would be detrimental to his life, like schizophrenia, but or bipolar. But it was just like maybe generalized anxiety or depression or stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think for him, um, but it but it's scary because it's like if you don't have anxiety issues and you go into a hospital, like you're gonna have trauma from seeing stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember too, like I don't know if you guys if they do this with kids, but like one time I said I had trouble sleeping and they gave me trazodone mm-hmm. without like telling me what it was they did and i had hallucinations because i was like because i have narcolepsy so i generally like have hallucinations but it was like on another level yeah where i started like i'm like i can't move i can't move and i'd sleep paralysis and that was nuts yeah trazodone's horrible i mean yeah they gave a lot of trazodone that's totally what it was just pumping meds giving meds to everyone yeah because they want you to shut up there was this six-year-old who they gave a shit ton of adderall to and then, because <laughs> she she really could not pay attention to anything, she was like running up and down the hallways before the Adderall. Then they gave her the Adderall, and that didn't help anything. She right. was just more hyper. Right. And then she couldn't sleep at night. She'd be up till three in the morning, running in the halls. And we're like, do you like why do you think she's not sleeping? Right. Because she's on freaking twenty milligrams of Adderall, and she's six. It's <laughs> like what I do. So then they Jesus. give her some melatonin. But then she, like, still can't sleep because the Adderall is stronger than melatonin. Well, yeah. I'm like, melatonin's, like, that's sugar at that point. Yeah. Like, that's nothing. But then you're in, like, this weird melatonin-induced dream state while you're still awake running in the hallways. It was, like, this girl. Oh, my God. I, she has a horrible story background. Like, I feel so bad for her. Not, Mm -hmm. that's a bad way to say it, but, like, bad You don't feel pity. You just, you, your heart goes out to her. Yes. There you go. Um, But, oh, my God, she drove us crazy. A night (laughs) staff. That's the good thing about night is it's normally quiet, except this girl. Wow. <laughs> so what we're going to wrap up the pod, but what, what's like one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is struggling with Crohn's or has any like shame or embarrassment around mental health and Crohn's to com- combine? Yeah, I think, let's see. Definitely know that you're not alone and like whatever you're feeling is valid. And I think this goes in way beyond the branches of Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably someone else out there going through similar things mm-hmm. and someone who will understand even when it feels like no one will. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, don't be afraid to get help or if you don't want help at that time, like push through. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, dude. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Of course. Um, where can people find you? Um, plug your Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, so my Crohn's account is at it underscore takes guts. So it takes guts. Is, mm-hmm. um, Personal Instagram? Nah, you guys don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Don't just slide into my DM. Too good for the gram. <laughs> no, follow my Crohn's one. You'll Josie. find my personal from there. All right. Well, thanks again. And thank you so much for listening to Doing Time. <laughs>